Well, today's the day that we do celebrate our mothers. Uh, today is the day that we give them gifts, cards, and flowers. For those of you who don't have those yet, shame on you. You better hurry up, but don't leave the service. But really, today's the day we want to say thank you. Thank you to our mothers and really give them gifts for all the love and the gifts they've given to us. What a privilege it is mine to have in this very service my mother and mother-in-law. Isn't that pretty blessed? Two women who love Jesus. and What a uh, great joy and how they have shaped my life. How my story has really been woven by their story and their love and they're pointing me to Christ. This morning, we're going to look at in another incredible passage in Ephesians that tells us that we are Christ's story. Did you hear me? We are Jesus' story. What he's created and what he's redeemed, he wants to tell the world about his greatness, his glory, his majesty, and his beauty. And he wants to use us to show it and tell it. We're his show and tell. It's Jesus who has given us gifts. He has gifted us so that we can be storytellers uniquely. Just as you are without one plea. No, no, it's another, thought, that's another time. Just as you are really telling his story. And being you, he has gifted you to be you in him, to tell the world about him. And he's gifted you to be a part of us. So that really the mosaic and the beauty of his story is not in the individual, it's us corporately together. Because we are his story. As we saw last week, we got to be unified. Our story's got to be one. Under one Lord, one family, one faith, one baptism we got to fight hard for that. we got to work hard for the unity, the purity of his story, his church, his bride. Because we are his story, we must tell this story together. Together. And he has given each of us diverse gifts as a special part of the story. So turn me in Ephesians 4. We're going to spend the next several weeks, uh, beginning in last week in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, we're going to look today at verses 7 through 13. Being mindful that as we read, we're reading God's inerrant, uh, without error, infallible, won't lead us astray word. What a privilege, because he loves us, and because we are family, he has given us his word. And what a joy is ours for those of us who can say, I believe. I believe in the word of God. I know what it's done in our lives and our church. Let's read together verse 4, verse 7, chapter 4, 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then Paul is going to tell us that every one of us, although we're unified together in Christ, we have a diversity in our gifts. And Paul tells us this in verse 7, and he's going to tell us more about that in verse 11. And he almost interrupts his train of thought to tell us verses 8 through 10. And what he's doing in verses 8 through 10 is he's telling us how Christ has the ability to give us these gifts. So again, grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, and what does it say? He's referring now to Psalm 68. He's actually referencing Psalm 68. More really, really cool stuff about that in a minute. But therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives or he took captive captivity and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. 
Maybe that dissension is his incarnation of becoming man or that dissension even to the point of death and death on the cross and being buried in the tomb. That dissension, the lowest of the low. So that uh, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Because he was so low, because he went so high, he is king of kings and lord of lords over all of it. And he's present everywhere. And he comes back to the gifts. He says, this is how we got them, through Jesus. Now he comes back in verse 11. And he gave, the, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all obtain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to, to mature manhood, or really a, to become a fully grown man, to the measure of the statute of the fullness of Christ. Let us pray. Father, what a joy is ours to gather on this Mother's Day and to be so grateful for the life that we have and the story that we have because of our earthly mothers. Father, what a privilege it is to shower them our, our love and our gifts But Jesus, we're here ultimately because of you and your story and your family and the gifts that you have showered upon us. God, I know one thing for sure. We need to see this morning of who we are in Christ. We need to see the beauty of this body. Father, we need to be be reminded that Jesus has purchased us and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us that we truly have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body. So would you come and would you speak, Father, through your spirit and through your word? Would you open up our ears so that we can hear of our victorious King who gives us gifts? God, would you expand our minds and shine the light of the Spirit into our minds so that we can understand what does this mean for us and how we should respond to this incredible calling to do the work of ministry, to be your body being built up. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and you would give us the power to do that which only you can do, and that's walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which we've been called. God, if we're here and we just hear your words and we walk away and we forget or we don't respond, we're wrong. So God, use them. Speak through a broken sinner. What is said that is true and contains the good news of Christ, use those things to make us more like Jesus. What are merely my opinion or that are wrong, may they quickly fall away and be forgotten. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. We're talking about family matters. We're talking about it here in Ephesians 4. And last Sunday, there was this call to church unity. And really, as you look through the first six verses of Ephesians 4, it's an incredible call reminding of us of this great love that God has lavished upon us that we should be called his children and we're gathered as family. And last week, we looked at the five keys of keeping unity in the family, in the church, so that we can advance his kingdom. Well, this week, he takes that picture of unity and immediately begins to build on it with diversity. He says, in the midst of our unity in Christ and our oneness in Christ, we're diverse. 
We look it around. I mean, we really are different people with different gifts. I mean, there are people here who, uh, who have different uh, socioeconomic statuses, different educations, uh, different upbringings, different stories. Some are good, some are bad, some are really sad, some are happy. I mean, we even have Red Sox fans here. We have Yankee fans all loving and, and Jesus together. It's amazing. We are unified, but we are diversified. We are different. And it's by design. God didn't, he, he wants us to be united, but he doesn't want us just to be uniformed. He's not just making clones, you know? I mean, he, 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 we don't come to Christ and all of a sudden lose all of our uniqueness. You lose all of who we are that makes us who we are. God unbelievably is doing this. He's saying, I want to use all of your giftedness and diversity to build on that unity. To show the beauty of the unity in the midst of uh, this diversity called the body of Christ. It's by design that Christ himself has uniquely gifted us for the advancement of Christ's kingdom. Now, did you hear that? It's very important. Because in these passages, one thing that's very clear is he's going to talk about the gifts each one of us is given. He's going to talk about the gifts of church officers. He's going to talk about the reason we have these gifts. And he makes it explicitly clear. And the Greek is very, very emphatic. It's Christ who gave us these gifts. You are who you are in Christ Jesus by his grace, for his glory, for the advancement of Christ's kingdom. So if you got up this morning and you were getting yourself ready for church and you were trying to wonder, you know, who am I and how do I fit in this? And you're probably humming, we are family. And you're probably saying, well, how do I fit in this family? Let me tell you perfectly. Because God has uniquely gifted you to fit here uh, just for the building up of the church. So look again in verse 7. Verse 7, but grace was given to each and every one of us according to the measure of whose gifts? Christ's gifts. Thank you. So the first thing we see is this, the gracious diversity of the gifts of Christ. The gracious diversity of the gifts of Christ. First of all, we got to realize what an incredible privilege it is to receive these gifts. Hopefully you gave your mom a gift, at least a card. Can you believe the, the cost of cards these days? I think that should be enough for a gift. No, no, I'm just kidding. But... You would say mom deserved those. I mean, I know you. If she had to tolerate you growing up, she deserves it. You should have given her something really big. She merited a gift. She deserves it. She's your mother. And because she is, and I know there's different stories, and some stories are sadder than others, but really, for the most part, our moms, because of their merit, they deserve a gift. But Jesus starts off very clearly and tells us, uh, according to inspired pen of Paul, that Jesus graciously gives us gifts. It's not by merit. It's by grace. So it's by God's design, by his grace. It's not because uh, of how great we are or, or how great we become. It's all because of the design of God's mercy to us that he's lavished upon us, that he has given you unique individual gifts. Therefore, we have the privilege to receive. You got to realize that whoever we are, we have the privilege to receive gifts from God. And it is by grace. And so why is this important? It's very important. Because if we are who we are, and we've been gifted by Christ, and it's not by works or who we are, but it's all by grace, therefore there's no room for pride. Does it make sense? If God is the one who's given it to us, there is no room for pride. We just say, God, thank you for gifting us the way you have to advance your kingdom. I'm here for you. It's not about me. Now, the grace is diversity of these gifts. Not only is there a privilege to receive, and it's all by grace, there's a responsibility to employ. 
There's a responsibility to employ. Jesus has gifted each one of us. He really has. In Christ, you are gifted by his grace, by his design, for his glory, and to be employed, to use it, to use it for the building up of the church, to use it for the advancement of the kingdom, to use it to love one another, to use it to tell his story. And there's a responsibility that we have to employ this. This is what Paul is telling us in 4.1. He says, he says basically this, uh, that we, he urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have been called. Hey, there's a responsibility that comes with a gift that Jesus himself has given to us. The responsibility is to give it back to him in joy and say, I am yours. Employ this gift to advance your kingdom. But we see the gracious diversity of the gifts of Christ. This is what's important at Orangewood. We're all needed. We really are. I mean, for us to tell his story in the manner that really is worthy, we're all needed. It's all hands on deck. And if we hide our own individual gifts and we aren't employing them, the story isn't complete. Well, how do we get these gifts? And I love this, this interruption that Paul has as he tells us about how we receive these gifts in verses 8 through 10. And it's a bit wordy and it may be at first blush, it's a little bit hard to understand. And if you'd like to, you may want to put your finger in Psalm 68. Uh, and look at Psalm 68, uh, I think it's verse 15. Um, it's 18. And you'll see basically what Paul is referring to. And he says this, Therefore it says, because Christ has given us gifts, and he's going to tell us how, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this is a pretty common imagery. When a conquering king came into town and conquered his enemies, there was a long train of captives. And they were following this king. And you know what they were doing? They were giving gifts to this king, saying, you are the mighty king. You are really king of kings. You have defeated us. We are now in your train. We're following behind you as your captives. But Paul says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. And he gave gifts to men. More on this in a second. And in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that also he descended into the lower parts of earth? As I mentioned earlier, his incarnation, his life, death, and resurrection, his burial, descending, literally experiencing hell on the cross, going as low as humanity has fallen so he can be lifted up and we can be too. He who also descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens. That he might fill all things. You have this great picture of King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He cites Psalm 68. And as I mentioned, but there's a bit of a change. And scholars try to figure out why, but it's the most beautiful change ever. He says this. He tells us that Christ has secured victory for us. Christ is our triumphal King. Listen, we can't miss this. Jesus Christ is the triumphal king who has taken captive, captivity. All that held humanity, all that holds you and me captive. He has taken captive. Sin, death, separation from God, Satan. He has taken all of that captive. And now... Instead of a king who receives gifts from us, this 
beautiful, benevolent King and Savior gives gifts to us. It's marvelous. It's glorious of a king who would do so, who would come and rule and reign, who would conquer all of his and our enemies. And instead of sitting up on high and saying, now come to me and bring me all your gifts, he's saying, let me gift you. Let me take all the blessings that I've earned as being king of kings and lord of lords that my father has given to me. Let me give them to you. Here's what Jesus says. I've plundered the enemy. I've plundered him. And I'm giving you these gifts. Gifts like things of sanctification, that our sins really are forgiven in the washing of his blood. And we really are holy and righteous, clothed in his righteousness. The gift of sanctification that he has and he will make us holy in his. The gift of glorification that one day we will be perfect in Christ. We will be with him and see him face to face. The gift of adoption. Those who were once far off have been brought near. We who once were alienated from God are now his family. The gift of being a joint heir in Christ. All the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms, Jesus says. Everything that I earned in my victory. All that is mine is King of kings and Lord of lords. All that is mine, everything I plundered from the enemy. And all of the gifts the Father has poured upon me, I give to you. And it's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Clearly, he's talking about this as well. The gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus says that I'm going to send to you. The Comforter. The one who's a deposit guaranteeing more to come. God himself. So Jesus Christ is the gracious gift ultimately that was given to us. So you ready for this? This is so important. So we can proclaim his victory. Here's what he's saying to us. We are his trophies. We are. We're his trophies. We're those who were dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2, 1, very clear. Had no life, had no um, uh, road to this life, had nothing in ourselves that would give us life. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. He is the one who has given us victory and given us life. He is the one who has taken Jew and Gentile and all those who are separated, all those who hated each other because of religious differences, social differences, all of the bigotry, everything that drove humanity apart. He says this, and this is the end of Ephesians 2. I'm making them all one. You can't miss a picture. Here's what Jesus says. He says, you're one body and your one body is mine. And you are proclaiming my victory. You, you're my trophy. Because I made you alive and you were once dead. I made you one and you were once separated. And he says this of the church. He says, church, in Ephesians 3.10, you're my trophy case. You really are my trophy case. You're what I want to proclaim to the world that I have won victory, that Jesus has won victory over death and sin. He has won victory over all the demonic powers. And he proclaimed that victory, Colossians tells us, on the cross. He made them foolish. And he says, now I want to tell my victory story through you. You are my victory story. You're it, church. You're it, individual. 
We proclaim his victory and we are to proclaim it everywhere we go and everywhere, everything we do. And basically say, we want to make this whole world, by his design, for his glory, his trophy case. It makes sense. I mean, this is really beautiful stuff. What he has done by ascending on high through all of the layers of heaven and going down low so he can proclaim this victory. And now he says, you who were dead and been made alive, alive in Christ, you who were separated made one in Christ, you now proclaim my victory over all creation. You know, I was thinking about this passage, and especially when it was talking about Jesus going, uh, being lowered to the depths of the earth and, and ascending to the heights of heaven. And what it really communicates, and this is very important for all of us, what it really communicates is Jesus is Lord of all. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. He has victory in hell, and he has victory in heaven, and he has victory on earth. He has victory over death. He has victory in life. So here's what this means. I mean, I went and saw Greg this week, and I just saw what cancer was doing, and, 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 and he's, he's, he's doing well, and he's fighting a good fight. But I just know there's victory. I know Jesus was there. I know Jesus descended to the depths and was lifted up. I know there's victory. And everywhere, whatever battle you're in, whatever trial, whatever struggle, Jesus, because he descended to the depths, the depths of humanity, the depths of brokenness, the depths of sinfulness, and ascended to the heights triumphantly, whatever you're going in, whatever you're going through, Jesus has victory. You know what else it says? Jesus is present. There's no place that he isn't there. He is a present. He is a ruling king who is omnipresent who is good, who has given us gifts, and who's proclaiming victory wherever uh, we are in life. Whatever stage you're going through right now, whatever battle, whatever valley, know that Jesus is there as king. Not only has he uh, given us the gracious gift of himself, he also has given, uh, in verse 11, the gracious gifts of church leadership Christ has given to his church. Now, some of you will say, no, wait a minute, do you say gracious gift of church leaders? Yes. It's supposed to be a joke. You're supposed to laugh. But Jesus is the one himself who has given us church leadership. It's not by the design of man. Look again at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And really the pastors and the teachers, the way that is worded, that's probably one office. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a second. But here's what I want you to know. Jesus himself has given us two types of leaders. Extraordinary leadership. In ordinary leadership. Extraordinary leadership was for extraordinary times. It's the gift in the office of the apostles and the prophets. And we believe, because now we have the complete word of God, we believe that now that we have the Holy Spirit given to us, uh, that we have all that we need and sufficient, that these offices uh, are no longer existing. Uh, no longer are, do we have the apostles or the prophets because we have a completed, what we say, canon or word of God. But we still, God has given us because he loves us in the church, ordinary leaders like me and your pastoral staff. He says these are the ordinary ones. They're evangelists. And really what I see in this, these are the missionaries. This is what Philip is called. Timothy is called this. Um, those who go to foreign soil uh, those who go into new territory and proclaim the good news of Christ, those with beautiful feet that are going and proclaiming Christ's victory. 
and the ordinary te- uh, te- leaders of pastors and teachers. And when he says pastors and teachers, he gives us a twofold office. Those who are caring for the flock, pastoring, and those who are teaching and feeding the flock. But here's what's really important. Why are we here? I think we live in a day and age that we would feel like, well, we're your hired guns to do ministry. We are the, the, the front line so that we are the ones that really engage in warfare. We're the ones who really engage in ministry. But this is not what Jesus has in mind. He says, listen, listen to this. He gave us all these offices. Why? In verse 12. To equip the saints. Now, who are the saints? Now, these are not the New Orleans saints. Who are the saints? The saints are you and me, those who are in Christ. Sometimes in different denominations, we hear the word saints. We think that it might be someone who uh, some church made a saint. No, no. The saints are the holy ones, the ones that were set apart. It's those that he he tells us in verse 1 when he says, to the saints who are in Ephesus in 1-1, it's us. Believe it or not, we are the saints, those who are in Christ Jesus. So Jesus called us to equip you, the body of Christ, the saints, for the work of ministry. For really the work of deaconing. We have deacons who do mercy ministry, who do their ministry. But look what God's word says. We are here to equip you for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature manhood, or to be a fully grown man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, we're here as your leaders to equip you for work of the ministry. This church started with a motto. What's a motto? Nothing. What's a motto with you? Um, This church started with a motto, and it was this. Anybody remember it? Every member? Good job. Doug, what was it? Every member? All right, very good. Every member a minister, every member a missionary. Basically coming with a mindset that you and I are both ministers and missionaries. Do we hear that? God has called everyone. I'm here to equip you to the best of my ability for God's glory for the work of ministry. This word equipping is very interesting. It's like setting a bone. It's like setting a bone. It's, it's like aligning things in the right way, the way they were supposed to be, so they work the way God has designed them to be. It, it says this. One of the commentary writers says this. Confe- conveying the idea of a harmonious development in which all parts are brought together to a condition of being able to perform according to their created purpose. It's this, way, it's, it's this kind of idea. God has created us for a purpose, and it's to do his work. It's to advance his kingdom. Ephesians 2.10, after it tells about this incredible grace that we've received, that we can be forgiven of our sins. It's by grace we've been saved, not through works, so no man can boast. Goes on to say, but we are, we are his workmanship, we're his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, that we should walk in them. He prepared for that in, in the beginning of time. You see, we have been called to be his trophies. We have been called to be his trophy case. We have been called to tell his story, to proclaim his glory. Unified is one body, one church, beautifully for his glory. And we are here as your leaders to set joints back in place and to make everything harmonious. It's kind of like a symphony. 
Can you imagine going to a symphony and being excited about what you're about to hear? And, and as the music starts, the violins start in and they're phenomenal and they're well-tuned and they're, they're well-practiced and they're all ready to go. And, and it just the, 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 the harmony of the music is filling the room and then come in the percussions and their timing seems to be off, awesome. And it seems to be right there with the strings and it's just adding to the beauty of the music. And all of a sudden the conductor calls for the brass and the brass hasn't tuned up. And the brass doesn't have the sheet of music in front of them. And the brass just starts to play. And all of a sudden, this beautiful symphony becomes disorganized and disjointed and noisy. Ministers calling to conduct a harmony. To set into place that which is out of alignment. To call into place all of you who have gifts and say... Play your part. It's beautiful. It's beautiful for his glory. It's beautiful to tell his story. It's a symphony that tells of his victory and proclaim it to the entire world. We were created to do this, as I mentioned in Ephesians 2.10. But why? For the building up of the body of Christ. This is, God has called us to holistic health. We cannot be deformed We cannot grow just part of us. We cannot, remember last week, we can't leave anyone behind. We cannot not grow together. There needs to be the unity of the body. It says again, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. And there's something really, really beautiful here. Because Paul really sees us as one body. Okay, it's a metaphor, right? We're just saying, okay, yeah, we're one. But no, no. He really sees us. And this is the way Christ sees us as one body. Look, again, look with me to uh, chapter 2, verse 15. Ephesians 2, 15. For, let me go back to 14. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one. This is bringing Jew and Gentile together. And has broken down in his flesh the d- dividing wall of hostility. <laughs> Man, is that beautiful. By abolishing the law of, the, of commandments and ordinances. Then here, listen to this. That he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. Jesus sees us literally as one body. And we must be holistically healthy, moving forward together. Why? Because, you ready for this? We are the dwelling place of Christ. We are his trophies, his trophy case. Ready for this, church? We're the place. Where heaven and earth meets. And his story is seen and told. Look at verses 19 through 22. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Here's who we are. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, it's all built on him, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, we are, church, the dwelling place for Christ. We are the dwelling place for God. And this is why loving our neighbor means so much. I really think that this is important. Lean into this. This this is intriguing. Loving our neighbor is caring about 
the growth of the body. We have to care about Jesus Christ as the head. We are the body. We have to care about each part. In Ephesians 5, Paul tells us a metaphor of, of the church and how, I'm sorry, marriage and the church and how marriage reflects who we are in Christ and the church. And he says something very interesting in 5 verses 28 through 30. And let me read them to you. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So listen to this. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Here's what I think this means. Your business is my business. And my business is your business. And if we're really going to love one another, we are one body. We are we're his. He's united us in Christ. And therefore, we can't say to one another, it's none of your business. How I live my life, it's none of your business. Okay, you want to talk to me on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday is mine. No. If you are on, in Christ, we are together in this. And we are his. And my business is your business. And your business is my business. Why? Because it's all his business. That makes sense. And if we're going to love the body, that means when a, one part of the body is weak, guess what? We're all weak. We're all weak. And for the glory of Christ, we got to say, we want to be these trophies of declaring his victory. And we got to be picking one another up. We got to be loving one another. And when one falls, we got to be there. We got to encourage one another. We remind one another, you're gifted. Christ has given us victory. We're His. We need you. The symphony continues. We have to have you playing because we just can't have the music without you. It just makes so much, it's so much more beautiful. It makes so much more sense for us to nourish the body and love the body because of this. Instead of the church just saying, you can't do this, you can't do that, and it's not about this and it's not about that. Listen, we're here to equip you for ministry, to set back into place that which is out of joint so that we all can sing on the same page so that my life is your life, your life is my life, all because it's all his life. Make sense? You see, we're here, I believe, Orangewood is here, in Central Florida, to change Central Florida into the kingdom of God through the power of gospel, to make that invisible kingdom visible. And I want you to know, this is really hard to do. We believe that God is calling us to make a difference, to be a city in a city, to be a, the, the light of the world, to be a city on the hill. I believe that's why we're here, okay? I believe that's why he has done all that he has done. I believe that's our mission to love him, love one another, and to shine like crazy proclaiming his victory. And I believe the only way we do that if we equip God's people to advance his kingdom. But we can't equip those we can't connect. And so we as your pastoral staff and your leaders are prayerfully wrestling with this. How do we intentionally connect you? whose lives can be so busy and so, so much diversity, how do we intentionally connect you? And I want you to know, I agonize and pray over this. 
We're going to come together this summer. We're going to do uh, our equipping center classes. are going to be age and stage because we think that's a better way of connecting you. You're going to see more things coming in the fall that are going to be intentionally connecting you. We have a summer program where every other Sunday night we're offering something here at the church. Why? Because we have nothing better to do with our time? No. Because we want to intentionally connect you. Because we are the body. And we get frustrated because we don't know how do we intentionally connect our people that sometimes don't want to be connected. And here's the really difficult thing because we know that the only way we're going to really shine and be that city within a city and that city on a hill is if we are equipped for ministry. And we can't equip you if we can't connect you. Is that not true? So that's where we are. We're trying to figure out how do we intentionally connect so we can intentionally equip so that we can intentionally employ. That's what, really, we wrestle with. Why? So that we can attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. You see, God is calling us to grow together, growing in Him. And I love this. Listen, there's unity in knowledge. Not unity in, no, don't tell me what you're doing. Don't tell me what you're doing. I don't want to know about your life. I don't have to grow in my love and my relationship with Jesus. We'll just come together and we'll say we have unity. No, the only way we have unity is in knowledge. Ignorance is not going to bring us unity. Growing in him, knowing who we are, knowing we're the A plan, that will bring us unity. Why? So that we can be fully grown up. Remember that one man that he's talking about, that one body? He's basically saying, I've made you alive, I've made you one, and I want you to be fully grown in Christ. Full grown in his likeness, reflecting Christ in all things. Well, for us to do this, we obviously need a structure to grow. We need a place that can help us equip and help us build up the body of Christ. And so as you know, Orangewood members, we're on this campaign this month to say, how do we best do it? How do we best connect? How do we best equip? How do we best employ? What do we need to do? How do we maximize who we are so we really are his trophies in his trophy case right here declaring his, his glory? And you're going to find out a whole lot more stuff about this in the, in the coming days and weeks and be invited at different times. We're going to have a service next Sunday. But let me show you some pictures, and I'm hoping uh, that these will come up now, of what we're hoping to do. Growing Strong Together, phase one. There's been a lot of uh, a talk of what we're going to do and, and God, a lot of prayer. What do we need as we move forward? Um, and it really what is becoming more and more clear is God has blessed us in the in area of families and the area of children. Our nurseries are full and expanding. Our children's ministry is expanding. We have another child here. Our student ministry, our, our school ministry is expanding. Uh, and we have an inc- incredible need for education space. So let me show you the next building. What we're planning on doing, this will see a first floor. Um, I forgot my laser pointer for the service, so I'm sorry. Uh, the blue area on the right is all children's ministry space. We've expanded that to about 8,500 square feet of children's ministry space secured. Right now, we don't even have secured space for our children. And uh, in, in days like this, we're so excited to be able to say, this is something we can use every day of the week from mom's morning out, women's ministry, preschool, an incredible uh, ministry out into our, 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 our community as we grow together in Christ. Why do you think it's way on that side? Because Lord willing, that's where our sanctuary will be. Right after that, our, our big plans, our sanctuary will be next to that, and that'll be a, a better spot. You'll also see that lobby area. I'm colorblind. I don't know what color that is. But that's going to be three times the space we have now, two stories under air conditioning for a place for us to come together as one, as a body of Christ. So when you come into worship, you probably be prepared. 
and uh, so you can really uh, find out what is going on. Uh, out of there also will be a courtyard. There'll be a, a covered entry, a two-story covered entry. Uh, no more walking in mud. Uh, you know, a two-story covered entry uh, on days if it ever rains again in Florida uh, for you to come in and to worship. I'm so excited about that space. You'll also see um, on the uh, new children's ministry uh, band area in the back, for the first time we'll have a place on Sunday mornings to send all our junior church people in a place that's just theirs, dedicated for them to do some programs all together just for them. I'm so excited about that. The additional space you see is a much needed space for our school ministry that in my time here has grown from 540 students to over 700 with plans to be about 1,000 as we hope to reach in the community. As you look at the second story of this, uh, you'll also see uh, a youth spot on the left-hand side, a 5,000-square-foot youth facility. Uh, right now, believe it or not, uh, our youth house is flooded for the second time. We're renting space over in Maitland uh, and really uh, have a, a, a roof that leaks, uh, a building that's filled with mold. And we've decided we were going to use that as a staging area until we built the sanctuary for children's ministry. We said, we've got to knock it down. We're going to have to knock it down and, and put that addition into this education building. But you'll see there, there's, there's space just for adult ministries, equipping center classes, so we can equip you, empower you, and love, love you. Um, that youth facility is going to be 5,000 square feet. We're going from uh, roughly 3,500 to 5,000 square feet and try to reach our students. Next, next slide. Uh, for this, amazingly, one of our ministries is, is really doing the lion's share of all of this as the growth of the school has been able to do so much. But as our plans have changed and as we realize it's not the perfect timing right now for our sanctuary, but we need this to be a blessing holistically. Do you hear me? This needs to be a blessing holistically. We still have to do all the infrastructure for the entire facility for one day, Lord willing, if we do have a sanctuary. Those, that's an expense. We still have to tear down the youth house. We have to put in some additional uh, children's ministry space, but the school is able to cover, uh, because of their growth, a $5.5 million bond. You've already voted on that, and that's in the process, and they'll be able to cover that. Not only that, they've raised already over a million dollars, and now it's down to us saying we're about two million shy for the rest of this project to build um, what we believe God is calling us to build. So much more information. I know this is just a periphery, but again, we believe God's calling us to do this, to set an alignment uh, God's people uh, to advance his kingdom. I think there's one more slide. This will give you an idea of what it would look like, Lord willing, as it is built. I think that's it. Is that it, Chris? Yes. More information next Sunday. More. There'll be times the next Sunday night, next Tuesday and Wednesday for you to come and have your questions answered and for us to move forward. Um, really, I think June 3rd will be the day that we're going to ask for you to respond. But again, we'll give you a whole lot more as we uh, uh, move forward. We need one another. And we need to lean on one another. We're going to need you to respond, to say, yes, this is what God is calling us to, to equip the saints for ministry, to do the work of ministry, so that we can build up the body of Christ, so we can advance his kingdom, so we can be his trophy case. As the worship team comes forward, we're going to sing a song that you know, okay? Now here's the deal. This song is a great song, and it really will work if you have fun. So I'm your pastor here in front, and I'm going to tell you, you have permission to have fun. Now, some of you, you have to get permission to to have fun. And I, I, I saw it last week, but this will be fun. Lean on me as we lean on Christ. Let us pray together. And Father God, we thank you.
that you have made us to lean on one another so that we can tell your story. Jesus, you yourself have given us our gifts. You yourself have given us victory through your life, death, and resurrection. And you, by your design, for your glory, have given us one another to lean on as we proclaim your story. So God, I pray that you would be pleased as we leave here leaning on one another in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right, stand and sing with me, please.